Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the show. I hope you've had an awesome week. This week's show, we actually recorded last week when we were in Iten, Kenya, the home of champions, the home of, well, not sprint as you would know it, because these guys don't run the 100 or the 200 or the 400, but anything from the 400, which is classed as middle distance running all the way up to the marathon, Iten, Kenya is one of the hotbeds, one of the breeding grounds for those distances. And the Kenyans are quite solid, let's say, on this level. So who better to speak to? No, I don't bring you a Kenyan guest, but what I do bring you is our very own Rob Foster. We talk about his up and coming Lebanon, Beirut marathon, his approach to marathon training, different things that he's learned from his second, actually his, I'm just thinking about that, it's his third visit to Iten, Kenya. Twice we've been together and once he's been on his own. He shares all of his wisdom and if you've seen the video cuts from this, we record it in quite a unique location as we sat atop of what is, well, what Rob likes to refer to, and it is actually the escarpment on top of the Rift Valley at Kiria View Hotel Iten, which I highly recommend people to go and check out. It's very straightforward. You're only there for running. Don't expect anything else, but it's a hell of a place. Summing up, have you hit a plateau? Do you want to chat to someone who actually cares about you? and will be committed to helping you get better at life. Personal training is a funny game, isn't it? It's not really always about the reps and sets, but more about that connection between the coach and the client. Give us a shout, winning at innerfight.com, and we will have a personal trainer reach out to you, figure out if you guys connect, and see how we can all help each other. This is episode number 700 and 79 of the Inner Fight Podcast with Rob Foster. Welcome back to another show in probably one of the worst locations we've ever done a show. I'm just kidding. If you're seeing the video version, it's pretty incredible. We are sat here on the top of the escarpment. Come on, tell us what escarpment. it is. Escarpment. Rob's word of the week on the Rift Valley here in Iten, Kenya. So what better to speak about than this guy's up and current, up and coming Beirut Marathon. Mate, you have a week to go. A week to go to get these legs back from basically lactate for the last six, seven days, eh? <laughs> Tell us a little bit the theory behind coming and training altitude and so hard <laughs> a week before your marathon. <laughs> the theory. So I actually probably peaked before coming here for ah. that very reason. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I didn't want to come here with any expectations on, on pace or trying to force any, any long runs. So what I did was basically, I, oh basically, I was, um, <laughs> I came, I peaked a week before and we came out and it's just about having fun, trying to get a little bit of acute um, adaptations to altitude. So when we come back down to, to ground level or sea level, I'm a little bit more adapted have a bit more fun so I can then taper in to the Beirut Marathon. I will warn everybody, this guy is incredibly intelligent, a lot smarter than me, so a lot of what he might be saying during this show could be a little bit more technical 
than they than my shows normally are. We've heard already about peak. We've heard coming up to altitude, going back down it. But we're going to explore it all within the next five minutes, thirty minutes. Anyway, mate, talk to us a little bit about peaking for a marathon. What what does that actually mean, and why would you peak two weeks earlier when don't you want to peak during the marathon? So you want to get your your big volume out of the way before you run in towards a marathon because the whole idea is that you peak at your 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 actual fittest and hit your race specifics before coming in to a marathon so you can taper down and allow your body to adapt to the big load that it's already gone through. Yeah. So you would have gone through some base phases, some general phases where you look to prepare the body to, for adaptations and big load coming up within the the build months. Yeah. So looking at like two months worth of building and then peak is where you, you hit really specific paces and really specific workouts around a marathon to make sure that you're best prepared and you've practiced and your body's acclimatized or accustomed and is as efficient as at race pace as it can yeah. be. With a two week taper, it's not, not f if you're highly trained, that's not traditional. You're looking at like one week, and even that's still you're just reducing the load a little bit, but keeping some intensity yeah. to keep your body from shutting down completely. But with the two weeks, we're still exercising now. We're still ending ourselves on a daily basis. <laughs> this afternoon, we'll do some exercises. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little bit of a modified rowing, but for an athlete who is doing their first marathon, two weeks is quite good because you get your confidence two weeks before, and then you can slowly work your way in so every day you feel fresher every day you feel a little bit more prepared yeah. so when you get to marathon you feel absolutely bang ready to go so in short what he's saying is we time the training in time so that when he gets to the marathon day he feels what he said just there at the last bit mate let's jump out from the technical side what does running a marathon actually mean to you like why why are you doing this in beirut in 10 days time <laughs> <laughs> it started and Not the Beirut one. What is the marathon? And then we'll come to why Beirut. The marathon. I think it, for me, it's, I haven't hit a good marathon yet. I did the first marathon I've ever done in Queenstown with Ash before we got married. Mm. So that was more of a... I the mean, morning it, of, right? The morning of, yeah. yeah. And that was in memory of my Auntie Catherine who passed away. Yeah. So that's quite an emotional thing, quite an emotional day. And that was just a huge momentous occasion. And it was also goodbye New Zealand. Yeah. Then we came to Dubai. And I did the Dubai Marathon like 2.51, just like four seconds quicker than Tom. And that was, was uh, I, don't, I, don't, anyway, I, don't, I don't feel that was a, a reflection of my ability. Yeah. And then we went to Abu Dhabi after a 10 last time and my calf went. So I, I wasn't able to execute the, the race I wanted to. Yeah. And then that's, it's unfinished business. Has it been, obviously you, you come from quite a strong family running background let's put it that way with, with with your uncle has it been something that's been on your radar for a long time to have a fast marathon has it has it meant something to you um not really until recently until it, it was until i didn't and saw how hard it was what do you mean by that so i've always seen 5k 10k and half as really like super hard and that's always been my focus but yeah when i I've done those, I've well, done two marathons and done this, the failed one in Abu Dhabi. And I saw how hard it was to crack. Yeah. It was, it, it lit something. Yeah. And it was something I really, I, I was like, okay, this is it. Yeah. And if I can get this, then I've, I've, I've ticked something off, which I'm, I'm proud of. Will you just make a small adjustment to your mic here? Okay, you can keep rolling. As soon as you're talking that way, I think it'd be better. Ooh. So a desire sort of 
is not something that we're born with. This is where I'm trying to get to, mate, because I think some people, and, and, and with you, it's not something you were born with, but as you're running, let's call it career, or your, your addiction to this hobby or this yeah. journey progressed, it developed, the marathon distance developed more meaning for you. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's, I, I did pretty well at shorter distances and yeah. it's, it's, if you don't do something well, I feel I failed at it and I really want to do, and it, it, it's so interesting the marathon because it's physically, yeah, I think I'm ready for it now. I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm ready for it. But I know that I'm going to go through at least like four stages of absolute agony within that <laughs> marathon. And in my head, I've got to be really strong. And I think it's more of a, a development of my, my mental capability to execute the race that I know I can physically. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the fun in it. I think that's one of the a super interesting thing that maybe doesn't get spoken about a lot, mate. Like you can, you've prepared yourself and we'll talk about your, your coach and the coaching and, and the training a little bit more later. You prepared yourself quite well physically you feel good, you're running around here in Kenya a lot of the time with the Kenyans at some quite good paces until they're not anymore, but you're, you're, you're in good shape. The key to a really fast marathon is this, how the mind moves through it. Yeah. You're still gonna be, I, I mean, we can talk about your target time, but it's gonna be somewhere between two to three hours. That's quite a long time to be in various, various phases of both physical and mental pain yeah so what are those sort of what are those four phases that that you mentioned there mate and how are you gonna navigate through them i think let's call it three let's not go four three um initially it's it's building into it and it's relaxation and it's it's the pain of knowing that you've got that long to go so that initial hour is settling into knowing there's pain mm. then you move through that second hour and it's the accumulation of fatigue in your legs and then your mind also starts to slow down because it's a whole body fatigue so you've got to stay relaxed and fresh but also positive where that starts to wean a little bit so maybe you you miss a kilometer that's not at target pace yeah or your legs start to hit just a little bit more and it's about putting aside those negativity uh, the negative thoughts and and focusing only on the positive and also embracing the pain the last the last phase is is when it's literally head wins yeah it has to win yeah because your body every single step is telling you not to go it happened in the half marathon in the same similar sort of vein like you you set out and it's it's knowing there's going to be pain and then there's ultimate you are in pain and then it's your head saying okay let's let's see if i can get through this yeah and it's talking yourself around to going okay last last like 10k it's just your head every your body's saying stop yeah your body's saying, just stop it. Why are you doing it yourself? Do you think that's one of the sort of points that's missed, the misconception about running a marathon, about running anyway? Like a lot of people say, if you've done the training, you'll be all right. Whereas I often think if you've done the training, then you're putting yourself in this unique position to enter in. You're almost, you're almost gaining the credit to enter into this insane mental game because to run your fastest marathon it's what you said, mate, like that last 10K is just, it's, it's hard to, it's really quite hard to describe. Yeah, it's just a battle, a, con, a minute by minute battle. Yeah. But it's like old Alluid <laughs> goes on about, he says that unless you have pain, you won't achieve excellence. Yeah. 
unless you embrace the pain and, and accept it as part of the process, then you won't achieve what you're capable of. Yeah. So it's about being okay with that and saying that this will end if I just keep pushing. And I think it's about being okay with what your objective for the marathon is. If your objective is to get through and enjoy a marathon, yeah. then we'd be adding, in your case, probably somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes on your target time. Yeah. And as your marathon time increases, so if you're, if you're trying to get a four hour marathon, it's gonna take everything. If you wanna have a comfortable four marathon and you wanna have some fun with it, then you're probably looking at about 4.30 or a yeah. 420. Yeah. Whereas if you want to go sub four, and that's going to put you right on the edge of your physical and mental limits, that is not going to be a super fun experience. <laughs> it's interesting trying to describe that to athletes I coach. The marathon. But I think it's something that almost should be, like that's what I'm trying to do a little bit here, mate, is it's something that maybe should be communicated in, in, in a right way, because you can go and you can run, if you ran, like a 245 or a 250 in the shape that you're in now, you're gonna have a great day. Yeah. It's gonna be, it's gonna be hard enough to, to give you satisfaction, but you're still gonna be able to have a chat, fun. We're not gonna have that horrid experience in the last 10K. But if you're trying to dip under 230, oof. <laughs> then it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, you can, you can definitely enjoy marathon more, but it's, it's all about that alignment at the start and the objectives that you have. So if you want to go and do your first marathon, target time should not be a thing. Yeah. I don't think you should ever go into how a would you, marathon. How would you measure, because this is also great for the broader audience, mate. Like, if target time shouldn't be a measure, what should be the measure? For how much, well, you, if you start with, what is it that you want to get out of this marathon? Mm. If you want to complete it, then we go RPE. Mm. We train it paces and heart rates if we were able to that relate to RPE. And then you run the whole thing at four or five and you just break it down. Then you learn how to break it down. Obviously that all that perception of effort will, will rise throughout the marathon. Yeah. But choosing focus points that are not performance driven is the, I think the key. So how much are you smiling? How much are you looking up and around? Yeah. How much are you, like nutrition plans, they all need to be sorted and drilled in, but at the end of the day, if, if the finish line feeling is, and is defined as finishing with a smile and completing something that I didn't think I was able to, mm. that's, that should be the only objective. Do you think because those objectives are a lot more subjective, they're not used as much for people because we live in this world that is quite numbers driven and a lot, I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day, which is absolutely incredible stupidity in my opinion, because the guy that, I mean, it's obvious why he said it, but the guy that founded Whoop said, feelings are not a good metric. Well, it's obvious because you're giving people these bullshit feelings of strain and recovery and all this stuff. But then I turned it off. He'd, pr he'd previously said he, he removes the egg yolks from his omelet and just eats egg whites, which is also another sign of excellent stupidity. A red flag. <laughs> a little bit of a red flag. So that was his second strike and, and he was out. But my question to you, mate, in, and, and I, I'm 100% with you, that promoting these feels and RPE, rate of perceived exertion, rate of perceived effort, is for the most part helping people to enjoy these events and the processes leading to these events, but it's, it's against the flow of what is sort of a societal norm. Because you say to someone, like, it, 
I'm going to ask you in a minute, what are you going to run the Beirut Marathon in? I'm not gonna ask you how much fun you're planning on having, but that's because of what we've spoken about. But everyone would say, like if you say I'm running a marathon, okay, what's your target time? As yeah. soon as you finish the marathon, oh, what did you do? Yeah. Whereas, shouldn't the conversation be, how fun was it? Or yeah. should it? I don't know, how do we, how do we shift this, this dynamic? You take, you, depending on the athlete, you change, you change the parameters of success. So, I, I, disagree with old mate whoopster as well i think <laughs> yeah. that's an absolute misnomer i think it's the one biggest misnomer out there is that rp is a subjective measure i think it, ultimately yes it is when you look at it it's your feelings but if it's done correctly and honestly it's one of the most reliable and most you can always fall back on rp or how that effort feels as as gold yeah if, if you're honest then it's gold yeah if it's not then you're lying to yourself and you will not have a good marathon or a run or a bike. Do you think a part of it might also be your, for want of a better phrase, your athletic maturity? How long, like, because if you get someone that's just started running, they and don't know really, or no, do you no. start to inbreed in, in it in them or drill it into them from the start? From the start? Yeah. It's, it's, and if it's clearly like communicated that it's, this is going to be your best tool yeah. to consistent running and like, injury-free, fatigue, like not overtraining, like using this as a, a metric and then bringing it in to say, okay, you felt like this was a six out of 10 or seven, or seven out of 10 and this is your heart rate and this is your pace. Yeah. Then you get to relay those numbers to a feeling. And if you always have that feeling as the grounding figure, yeah. then you're more likely to be able to judge your fatigue, judge your effort in situations where effort and heart rate and pace aren't reliable figures or yeah. power, for example. I think it all starts from that initial set off point. So what is RP and people who don't understand it or who haven't been given the time to understand it and what it can do yeah. is, is totally different. I think, so um, I had a, an athlete who ran a 5K recently and we discussed it about what the goals were and it was to, to run hard and prove to themselves that they they were good enough for the 5k mm. and that they were running fast and it's like what are the objectives when you cross that finish line it was like to feel good and to give my my little son a hug and i was like that's nice. epic yeah and i said she said um oh, it's tina yeah <laughs> and she's like well, how are we going to judge this pace wise i think I, it's no point yeah it's, it's 5k you know your <laughs> paces you've run them at tracks so many times yeah just run on a feeling yeah and she did and she absolutely nailed it and was she happy at the end? Super happy. Amazing. She got, uh, she was first age group, she was second overall. Amazing. Yeah, she got beaten by a little whippersnapper. <laughs> which just shows you, right? And she ran that on feel. Let's remove all feelings, mate, and let's answer the question which people are probably waiting to hear. What is the, and then we'll go back to all that other stuff. We'll round out this little part of the show. What is the target for Beirut? I've got three targets. And this is why I'm so interested to get to this. I've got my happy target. Yeah. I've got my like ecstatic target. And I've got, you won't hear me shut about this, about three months. Only target. three months. Just three months. <laughs> yeah. So my what, where are we ex starting ex now? Acceptable yeah. would be between 242 and 245. Right. Happy would be between... It's a quite a vague measure. I think I'm capable and be happy with a 240. Right. Ecstatic, and that's like 
the perfect race with the perfect humidity, with the perfect temperature. Yeah. With the the hills that roll nicely and a really nice taper in. Yeah. I think between two thirty and two thirty five. I don't think I'm capable of going sub two thirty. Why not? Lack of exposure to pace. Yeah. So we've been training through the Dubai summer. We're just coming into winter now, but we're very much on a on a scale of it's humid one day, it's not humid the other day. We're up here training, but it's altitude, so it's two thousand two hundred meters and we can't hit anywhere near the pace that we need to. Yeah. So the lack of exposure to those paces, which I'll need to hit and hit, hit consistently. So I'm not sure what will happen entirely in the back end. Right. But I'm pretty confident of the prep work that I've done, I'll be able to execute a very good race. 235 to 240 then. Yeah. If I was a betting man, yeah. would, would you send me down to the bookies to put my money in that category now? <laughs> I couldn't say. <laughs> I cannot say this. Let's talk a little bit, mate, about, I mean, we wish you the, the, the best for that, but let's now bring it back up to altitude, back up to where we are. We're at 2,300 meters. You mentioned something there that people might be interested in, and we probably flip back to the more technical side as well. Paces at 2,300 meters. You said, I'm not able to hit them, so I'm not getting exposure to them. Why? What's different up here? except the Ugali. <laughs> Ugali, the amount of oxygen you can take into your body yeah. is not as high because the air is thinner. Mm -hmm. So the same amount of oxygen, it's just thinner air. So when you breathe in, you're not able to fill your red blood cells, which means that your body can't supply the necessary oxygen to your working muscles to allow for the work at that capacity. Right. Simple as. So when we're running, we've been saying all the time, we breathe in, but it feels like we can't get enough oxygen to the working muscles. Yeah. So even though they're capable, even though they've got loads of mitochondria who are absolutely buzzing to do work, they can't. They're mm. undersupplied. It's like supply and demand. We can't supply enough. So that means that you can't train the intensity without dipping into full lactate and using different energy supplies or different... You can't train, sorry mate, the intensity or the speed? So the speed. Or are you, yeah, because for me it's different because it feels intense every time I go running here. Yeah, so you can train... No, no, so it's different, right? Is it? Yeah, so I can't hit the speed, Yeah. which means that I'm limited in my intensity. So my mechanical intensity, my muscular intensity, right. how much I'm actually having to work and produce. Yes. I'm, I'm producing a lot of waste products, I'm going to do a lot of stuff anaerobically because there's not enough oxygen, right? Right. But in terms of mechanics, yeah. it's not as intense. I don't believe. There's right. a guy behind the camera there who's probably like... Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your thoughts about that big guy? Depends what you define intensity as. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I would agree it's not as intensive because you're limited. But it is more exhaustive because you're using up more waste products. You're using, yeah. And you have to recover from the waste products as well, a lot more. So recovery recovery time off the back of a, a less intense yep. effort is higher because your body has to work harder to recover. But we're able to recover super well here because we do nothing apart from run and recover. <laughs> and the cameraman is a sleeping champ and if we talk for too long, he might drop the camera and go to sleep, but that's okay too. Let's move on to a little bit more of the subjective parts because we've enjoyed that part of the chat as well, mate about being back here in Kenya. We did a show after we came to Kenya last year. Some of the observations that you perhaps highlighted there or just some of the things that you're feeling being here again, mate, that you 
hope to incorporate or do incorporate within your running? Ah. I'm not testing you on last year's show. No one's going to go back to it. I think we incorporate a lot of stuff really well. We incorporate <laughs> simplicity yeah. and the, the basic f fundamentals of training, how they don't need to be too different on a week-by-week -week basis to cause a really good effect, as long as the training principles are solid. Mm. The pace lines at track have worked exceptionally well. And rest and recovery has also been like a, a focal point of, of training mythology. But coming back here again, it's, it just reinforces those mm. beliefs and you see it happening every day and you see it again you forget don't you you get yeah. all you get all muddled up in the fact that the complexities of training peaks and data yeah is, is something that we all get caught up in but when you come here it's what you're doing today hard yeah what's hard it's when it hurts what you're doing tomorrow oh it's easy because yesterday was hard i think the difference for me this year and I've been thinking about quite a lot, is that last year was a novelty. Yeah. It was, everything was new, everything was fresh. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, look at them, they're just running easy. Oh God, look at them, they're just running hard. Yeah. And they're so fast, and we know they're fast now. We know they do very things very simply, but very, very well. Yeah. So, so but I think that now this trip has been a lot more focused on the actual training. We, we realize now that in order to get great, and yeah. which these guys are and people who train here are yes it's that monotony and that some would say boring nature of it yeah. right yeah. like we after four three days we were looking for stuff to do to go find tom some crocodiles and why why is that apart from to experience more but is it really because to appreciate a full life of a, a running like a top level runner or somebody who wants to be top level Mm. It requires a great deal of self, like self-discipline, not to go off and dance away in the hills, or do things that might cost extra energy because you don't have that. And how are you going to bring that to Mr. Joe Bloggs or Mrs. Joe Bloggs? It's I think it's it's focusing on what you should be doing outside of training. And if your life is hectic, and if your work life is hectic, it's it's trying to take those down times and really appreciate them and and use them to recover from sessions and don't over complex over complicate the session like we were just discussing yeah yeah and how just just do the simple stuff in the session and just do it don't don't you have to don't have to dress up a training session in like a little feather boa it's it's a good training session don't overcomplicate. You're it. saying 3000 different things which I love mate but I want to I want to just interrupt quickly and go back to we're running easy, we're running hard. Your opening point really was around the simplicity of the place, which I feel probably ties straight back into what we're saying about running on perceived effort. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Did you strategically put this shot together? <laughs> but I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's mental, isn't it? You have, like you said, you have some of the best runners in the world and it's either easy, hard, or... Tempo. Tempo. That's it. There's nothing else. No, and then there's hills, which we're gonna figure out tomorrow. <laughs> but again, the description of that was, we find a really good steep hill, which is about, about 200 meters long, Yeah. and you run up it, and you run back down. Yeah. And how long for? 40 minutes. Yeah. What intensity? Hard. Yeah. Blows your mind, right? But it's not. It, it's interesting, right? Because I thought we had lunch within two days ago, two days ago, not yesterday, day before. Yeah, yeah two days yeah, ago. Yeah. And the more I think about that, like if you think about school athletics, school mm. rugby training, 
when we used to, when they take us to do hill reps, I mean, in school cross country, <clears throat> there was a hill in, in, in our school cross country course. I don't know why it was called Fred's Hill, but it was called Fred's Hill. Fred's. And our cross country teacher would take us there at least like once a week, the session would be, and it's about two or three miles to get there. Easy warm up, run up Fred's Hill. We did do it from time to time based on the number of repeats. Yeah. I think there the dynamic is probably a little bit different i don't know but we did it a lot on time as well and yeah. he'd be like right you're going to do 20 minutes of repeats on fred's hill and then we're going to run back we had that at hexham harriers town of harriers we had the seal yeah and that was just run that hill like loop for an hour yeah it's carnage it's absolutely carnage but you get you get like tender harriers produce some of the best runners in the country right some of the best cross-country runners in the country as well yeah and it's because it's that repeat every week you do that once at least during the uh, cross country season. Which feeds, this feeds into two other real key points that we've been discussing during the week, mate, and that you also touched on a little bit there. One is this crazy desire for training, for training peaks, for the workout to be constantly different, yeah. to be, you know, always changing. Was it, I don't know, was it CrossFit when they, constantly varied okay that's crossfit this is endurance maybe that's one of the biggest differences that we see if you're interested in that argument endurance against crossfit or how they complement or work with each other go and read jess's article it's really super interesting about that but why is there this or why has there and is it still existing this desire to have different training sessions every single week wow drew a graph about it lunch <laughs> explain it because they can't see the graph yeah so <laughs> graph here. we had a, we had a chat <coughs> and we were having to think about why do we have to like these guys run so simple and why why do we like keep reinventing the wheel by creating like alternate sessions we essentially do the same thing and we looked at it during covid and it was in covid your life turned a lot more simple so you had less travel less admin kids weren't going to school Yada, yada, yada. So your actual life became more simple and a little bit less interesting or boring or whatever. And There's then, a small caveat there, I think, like, because a lot of people might argue against that. However, the theory on that is, well, you didn't have to get up and spend an hour in your car. Yeah. You literally turned on your computer. So your days were super, super structured. More controlled, eh? More controlled and therefore there was a little bit of an element of, like people said, oh, I feel like I have more time. Yeah. And then they said it too loud and then their bosses just put loads of meetings in and it <laughs> fucked the whole thing up. Anyway. And they did a master's degree as well. Yeah, yeah. And then what training then took a purpose of uh, the complexity. Mm. So we were able to dance around and entertain with, with training sessions that did the same thing, but also gave an element of variety within the week, within the month. So that training became like the focal point of, oh, what's interesting in you today? Yeah. So instead of like binging on Netflix, you'd go and do a random workout, which is, is aerobic, but it had lots of layers to it. Yeah. And then what we've seen now is a, a flip. So now that COVID's well, less and it's not gone for sure, but flights, travel, all that's back. Yes. Offices are now going full gas back in. Yeah. So you haven't to add that extra hour for commuting times and because it will go up like an hour <laughs> and a half. Yeah. So if, you, if we were putting too much complexity We've, we've learned that that complexity and that, that constant variation is standard, but it's, it doesn't need to be now yep. because it's now becoming an anxiety former. So yeah. looking at a training session that has 16 different steps or 42 different steps 
can bring anxiety and also it's it's too much yeah we have far too much going on in our life now yeah that we don't really have the capacity to look at that and absorb it and also enjoy it so maybe the enjoyment comes from simplicity which is now the flip reverse so life is now getting complex yeah training can re like return to not being as varied yes but as effective and i think within that we are able to introduce a lot more not that we can't measure training when it becomes dressed up in a lot nicer way because to be honest i spent a lot of time personally with people i coach that i know want stuff to feel different dressing up really basic sessions so i'd still get the same data out of it so i yeah. can still have measurability but what we're able to give to people in this more simplistic model is a lot more measurability and repeatability yeah. which also jumps into we were here exactly a year ago and the first session we did was tuesday morning one minute hard one minute easy 20 sets and of course this week tuesday we rocked up there was probably about 200 athletes for exactly the same session and there was a guy who has a 205 marathon who was I don't know, we're not sure if he won or was second in Boston or and fifth the other week in, in, in Berlin. We also had a half marathoner of 50. He was faster. Forgotten. Adidas, whatever. It was a 10K he, as well, wasn't there? It was a 10, 26 minute 10K. Yeah. The point is, is that these guys have probably run that Tuesday session. It runs every Tuesday at 9 a.m. And every Tuesday it's one minute on, one minute off yeah. for 20 it doesn't matter. It then flicks on a Thursday and, and progresses up and down up to 90 seconds, two minutes and, and three minutes. But these guys are still running it. It's insane, right? It's, it's crazy. Just, it's just like longevity in sport. It's like yeah. two years later, you will get benefit because the session, if run well, is, is a perfect session. It doesn't need to change. So how do, you, how do you cross that bridge with an athlete that you're coaching, mate? How do you put a session in not every single week, not for 52 weeks of the year, but if you've got a runner or even a cyclist and you want to use that theory and create that such clear and honest measurability, repeatability, can you give them the same session every week? Would you? I think I might. I do with some, <laughs> eh? Yeah, I think if you explain why yeah. and then you can go back over previous data then explain that actually was the same session as this, but with this, we get a great insight into how you're like progressing every six weeks. Mm -hmm. So maybe not week by week. I'd like to do it week by week. <laughs> so we, we, we've changed. We've so yeah, yeah. I think I think you can. I think yeah. you should. I think that if you can, if you're able to pull out that data and show it on a piece of paper and say this is your last four weeks and look at your splits and how much they're getting better. Yeah. Look at your watts and how are they getting better. Yeah. Then it becomes. You can see it, you can feel it, and then you can relate to RPE, yeah. and life's good. Right. And then you'd see, I mean, mate, you'd see it over four to six weeks anyway, so you're going to see a, a massive... I mean, it's, it's, it's funny as well, when I was at uni, I think for three years, we did our strength on a Monday, we go to, there's two different gyms at, at uni, we'd do five by five pull-ups and dips in, in this one gym, because it had the machine, and then we go into this other gym, and we do five by five bench, Five by five deadlift and some biceps. Five by fives. It's that gold. was it. It's gold. For three years. That's why I'm not very good at benching. <laughs> no, but it was it was completely measurable. Some in some phases we knew 
and then we'd have another strength session later in the week but we'd know when we're getting stronger we'd know why and there's not there's not as much bullshit around it there's really no excuses no. because it's the same thing but it takes i don't know mate for, for me it takes a massively increased amount of honesty and then the almost the balls to admit that at a certain stage i'm not going to be progressing i might regress slightly and i'm okay with that yeah and that's that's the whole point of being a good coach mm. being able to explain that and get on board with somebody who maybe feels that's not good initially and then educating and make them more self-aware of where they stand in their season yeah that's fine that's that's the sign of <laughs> sign of a good coach <laughs> mate any other observations entertaining ones comedy factors or other from iten this year so many <laughs> talk us through a couple <laughs> can it man <laughs> they kind of be on the record <laughs> what have you got tom walker is more silly than last year <laughs> <laughs> is that why we've not given him a mic yet yeah. <laughs> nah, just too many mate just nah kind of, i'm sorry <laughs> Can't even pick them up in your head. Something to entertain people and, and prove the fact of what you were saying. That Because, okay, mate, a lot of what we're sending home on, on social media is, is quite lighthearted, but a lot of it, people are just sending messages back and saying, this looks horrendous. You're, the training is, is hard. These guys are, are running fast. But to be honest, mate, outside of the sessions, we're having quite a lot of fun. Yeah. It's two hours, two and a half hours of training a day. Yeah. And then the rest of it is chatting about training sometimes chatting about life sometimes and then just mucking around and watching uh, doing silly impressions that's what it's all about really isn't it it's about light-hearted frivolity <laughs> no uh, i've never seen you swing so much after a session after that first 18k <laughs> what was the problem <laughs> came in, legs all over the car tom stacking it Oh, yeah, that's Showing good. Triathletes can't run. It's okay. Um, Milosh has a knee reconstruction yeah, program that I actually right. feel like I might be joining. <laughs> Josh. Josh cycling 17k into a headwind and definitely swearing every minute. <laughs> that was quite interesting, wasn't it? He came back this morning after that and didn't actually eat till no, lunchtime. Appetite completely gone. But we should uh, give Josh some credit. He's come out here basically just to follow us on his bike, take pictures, drones. He's made some quite entertaining uh, quite entertaining youtube videos as well bin man elite follow it bin man elite click here to subscribe mate anything do you, can you think of anything different that you'll be taking back this year that maybe you missed last year i'm too much in it to sort of look back at it are you yeah i'm just i'm it's too early it's far too early It'd be the plane home when i start to like some little sparks go off how do you do that, mate? How do you reflect and how do you, how do you pull all of these things together or do you just let it play out? I'm, I'm not as regimented as you guys are reflecting. I right. think it's a lot more natural. Things, little sparks go off. I'll look back on the whole week and I'll just revisit it in my head yeah. and then think about what I can actually do and how it can make it a value. Because essentially, we're here to learn, right? Yeah. What have we learned so far? It's a lot like the last year. What, what's Coach Ian said that's been different not a lot, and yeah. there's, there's learning in that for sure. Yeah. That's probably the biggest learning. Yeah. And that run training to be really good at it, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And repetitive. And you've got to be super, super honest with the efforts. Yeah. If you're not, you feel terrible after. <laughs> we haven't, we've been in the lactagon for the whole time, but I reckon if you, you skipped a, a rep that maybe you think you can do, 
Yeah. You changed the workout midway because you, you weren't quite feeling it and you didn't feel like you were completely dead. Mm. I think there's a big thing that's missing there and that you see it a lot in Dubai. My final question, and it goes a little bit back to altitude. If you could stay here for longer, yep. how long would you stay for and what would you expect to happen? Uh, ideally, I mean, perfect world, you'd spend the last like a month here before a marathon. Mm -hmm. Maybe two if you had a really, <laughs> really good job. <laughs> but what I expect to happen is that your, your red blood cells would increase, your performances would then level up to what you were doing at sea level. And that when you actually took that down to sea level, your capacity would be massively increased. So you'd be running substantially quicker or at the same pace as what you were doing for substantially less oxygen. So you just, the performance benefits are unbelievable. So should we tell Ash now that you're coming for a month next year? Or? She's come and bring a dog. Mogul as well, <laughs> full team effort. Check into the curio, pets, pets allowed. Pets Feels well. like there's been three wild animals in our room all week anyway. <laughs> Mate, we appreciate massively the thoughts. That's super cool and yeah, probably from one of the most interesting podcast locations. I've ever done a podcast and it's not bad, eh? big hand to our cameraman who's <laughs> manually been our tripod for, for the last 40 minutes and give us one little bit of interjection, but mate, we appreciate that. So thank you. Cheers, Bart. And uh, if I didn't say it already, all, all the best for, for Beirut. We're, we're looking forward to see what happens. Thank you very much. This show might come out after that, so we might already have the result, but let's see. <laughs> Thanks a lot, folks.